Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, you are listening to Nobody Cares Except for Me. I am Auntie Donahue, who is the host and creator of this um, art that you are putting in your ears. See, this is why I don't do long. Um, intros because everybody gets a little weirded out when I begin to speak by myself. So that's why I switch gears immediately and I welcome our first guest who is one of my best friends. Case in point, she knows many secrets about me that could ruin my career. She could do it here. I don't know. Um, She's a programmer at TIFF, the Miami Film Festival. She just came back from Paris. By the time you hear this, I don't know where she'll be. She's a fucking editor, writer, like everything. She's everything. And her name is Kiva Reardon. Hi, Anne. Hi. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for that nice introduction. It was super great. And thank you for paying me for that. That $50 is going to come in super handy. It was a great plug. Yeah. Yeah. Sponsored by me. SponCon. SponCon. You know yeah. I'm not. It's your brand. Here we are. <laughs> SponCon is your brand. I do hate cooking, so I like the ads on this podcast. I Listen, I hate cooking more than anybody else, and you know that. I do know that. Yeah. I think one time I made you buttered popcorn. Uh, that is correct. Now, I don't want to be jealous of your topic because I think you might even value her more than you value me because you might value her more than you value most people in the world. She ranks pretty high. Who are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about Agnes Varda. Okay. Now, give our listeners some prep because I – and I'm being one of them. Like I don't really know very much about her. I know that she's a filmmaker. I know that she is – Older. I know she has a great haircut with some great coloring. That's those are all three key points. She's I would a, say, yeah, she's a feminist filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that I love about Agnes Varda is she's super curious, and so that means everyone can just kind of be curious about her as well. Um, yesterday, I was. This is a tangent. I will explain properly who Varda is. I love it. I love it. But yesterday, because I wasn't sure if I was spelling cinephilia right, <laughs> because I'm an intellectual, I was like, "Ooh, I should fact check that." Who's in a text to me? Oh, yeah, and I googled cinephilia and. And you know who comes up as an image? Who? Quentin Tarantino. Oh. So I died. Yeah. I laughed. And then I was like, but I'm so tired. I'm so tired of this idea of films belonging to Quentin Tarantino type people, a.k.a. Yeah. just like straight white guys who are really bombastic about a certain kind of filmmaking. And are questionable, like where you're like, I'm going to find shit out about you probably yeah. in the next couple of years. And and I think I think the thing that makes it really like uh, it's, it's kind of alienating, basically. Totally. And um, that's always been something that's really hard for me working in film is feeling like I'm not in the boys club and the films that are valued are, you know, the films that these dudes grew, grew up watching. Yeah. But if I want to talk about, say, like. Titanic or you know anything like that it's that suddenly dismissed and that can't be taken seriously so this is all looping back to Agnes Varda who I didn't even discover until um, my second year um, when I was studying film at McGill 
which is a, a filmmaking uh, um, wave or era from France. Yes. You can only say France. You must like say this. it that way. You must say it that way. Or and people who, you know, you've probably heard people like Jean-Luc Godard, François Truffaut, Michel Chabot, things like that. Anna Karina yeah, 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 is like yeah, part yeah, of that. Yes, exactly. I'm obsessed and with her hair. she is also in an Agnes Varda film. Um, oh. So they basically were all working together. And so I'm really glad you brought her up because they were all working together at the same time. But of that wave, you know, the Godards, Truffaut, Chabrol, really, really, Really been celebrated and like put into film history, and Varda never really was incorporated in the same way. Even no. though she's just as prolific, she's still working. Um, and you know, that's maybe because she's a woman, maybe because she worked in documentary, maybe because her films were about women, revolutions, like love, things like this. Um, so am I explaining who she is? Yeah, Not no, really. really. No, you are, especially because it's like she won that Oscar this year. She was, yeah, so she won the honorary Oscar this year. So she started making films in 1955. So she's been at it for the long haul. Yeah, she's seen it all. She she really has. She has done a lot. And for some reason, again, that I was like sort of jokingly alluding to about, you know, basically like her being a woman, um, it's not really until this year where people were kind of like, oh, oh, what a living legend. So she did win the, uh, or received an honorary Oscar this year. And uh, her most recent documentary was also nominated. And she co-directed that with uh, this uh, street artist named J.R. And they have like a 50-year age gap between them. And it's a really lovely documentary. So I think all these sort of things kind of culminated. And he's super um, like Instagram savvy, not to sound like an old as, as I am. That actually, I was like, oh, that sounds so hip. Cool. I know. <laughs> so he's also really helped propel her career um, kind of to a new generation um, which some people are like oh he's memifying her and it's not taking her art seriously but I'm kind of for it because I'm like yeah no I don't really care how you discover something as long as at the end of the day you're like oh cool I'm gonna watch this or like dig into it a little more well that's the thing and um, I think you personally have been very helpful in bringing Agnes to the masses like through Cleo through because you are the founder of Cleo Journal and this last issue was all Agnes all the time and then Tiff just finished or is in the middle of but by the time you guys hear this a while ago. Um, like you a, missed it. You missed it, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, Google it. I don't know how to help you and I'm not your mom and it's not my job so whatever. Um, they did the retrospective and that was also in conjunction with Cleo so that brings in like when you when you have tangible ways of introducing people to things like when you're handing it to them it becomes much more accessible and so when he it sounds like what he's doing with Instagram is doing the same yeah and and I think that's something that I hear a lot from people like oh I've never been to the the cinema tech like I'm too nervous to go mm-hmm. and that makes me so sad because I also feel that way too still you know there's really like if you don't know the right things if you haven't seen the right movies and what gets me so angry about that is there is no knowing the right thing or the right movies there's a certain set of knowledge that people usually straight white guys are yep. like this is what counts and if you don't know this then you're not in the club yes. and and that's what I, you know going back to seeing like Tarantino when you google cinephilia makes me so exhausted because you know if you wanted to sit down with Tarantino and be like hey let's go deep on Varda or let's you know go deep on like any cinema outside of maybe like Asian action films or like North American films I don't know, maybe he couldn't. Like, can he, like, you know, do some deep cuts on continental African cinema? Probably not. But, like, 
So I don't know. Maybe he can. Maybe he's listening to this and he's going to come at me. (laughs) First of all, I'm shocked that you have that much time on your hands. But second of all, I'm not shocked, actually. And you should be listening to this. Go listen to all of them. I guess the point is, is that there's like a hierarchy of knowledge that can really keep certain people out and the gatekeeper effect. yeah and and i think that you know you want film to be for people who are curious about experiencing the world in bigger deeper ways and want to see the world differently and from a perspective that's not their own and that is like varda's ethos from 1955 and her first feature through till now with faces places her the documentary that she made last year yeah because i think when i mean I have written a little bit. I I write more in my head about movies. I don't write about film because I've never felt welcomed into that club because, like you said, there are gatekeepers there. And also there's, like, a level of education you're expected to have and there's, like, a certain background, blah, blah, blah. But, like, when you and I sit down and talk about, like, Titanic and actually talk about it or you and the Fast and Furious movies, I think I would also attribute to that. And you were going to talk I'm about Miami so Vice. Honored. You're honored. It's your it's hashtag SpawnCon, hashtag brand. I paid her to talk about this is, how we're just throwing cash back yeah. and forth across the table right now. And you were going to talk about Miami Vice. I was, but then we were like, well, you were like, I yeah, I had. Well, I, when you asked me to do this podcast originally, I was in Miami. Humble brag. Yeah, and I, you're the programmer. I, and I love Miami, and I love the Miami Film Festival, and I love working there. And I think it's a very uh, interesting city that's often just written off as Scarface. Yeah, and it has that element. It has the neon. It has the beaches. It has the gaudy tackiness, which I love. I love getting jiggy with it, and I love Miami. Exactly. By Will Smith. Who doesn't? The humidity Welcome in the to. real city would destroy my hair and my spirit. It is a very humid, hot place. Some of us can't live in that climate. <laughs> yeah, I live and thrive on it. You too. I love the heat. Um, but what was I going to say about Miami? Oh, yeah, there's this other side to it as well. So I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about Miami Vice. And then I was like you know who doesn't need a boost Michael Mann so and I've been trying to think about that a lot too is like well you know I could talk about it I mean I don't like anything ironically I just like everything that I like yeah actually you are really good with that you're not like somebody that well I'm a Pisces moon so you are a Pisces moon I found out I'm Aquarius Moon, and I'm like, that makes sense. Um, and that's now we're going to talk and, about what I care about, which yeah. is my star signs, and only me. Me and Kanye have a lot of feelings. And he's just, he's writing a philosophy book. I'm, I would not be shocked if you ended up doing the same, <laughs> to be honest. He might sell a few more copies than me. Mm, I don't know. Stick around on this podcast and boost your sales by a bit. Throw some more cash my way. <laughs> that was a paid. Um, more spawn con. Now, you and I... Um, and everybody's getting a nice extra special glimpse into our friendship because <laughs> my house and my rules. But you're my friend who I equate with like I can be like you're very easy to be vulnerable around. You're very easy to emote around. Like you're somebody who's like very fluent in feelings, I think. Thank you. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I'm really happy it's on record. It's on record. <laughs> Alex, cut that. Cut that immediately. <laughs> Don't cut me saying cut that though. Let everyone decide. Um, and I feel like somebody who's like – I'm better with anger or, like, not feeling things. I realized today I haven't cried in two months. I cried on the way here. Really? Was it because you were running late? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I wasn't mad. I told you. It was fine. Also, I wasn't running late. I was on time. Listen, let's fight on here. I'm really really sensitive about this. Okay, yeah. Okay. Now I'm crying. Now she's crying on the podcast, and I'm still not crying. I feel emotionally constipated. Um. 
But you are somebody, when you write about feelings, you do it in a way that makes even people like me who feel kind of cold or more like clinical to their approach to emotions, um, make it not seem scary and not make it seem gross and awful. And I say this with having read your interview with Agnes Varda that just happened and it happened in person in Paris. And oh, sorry. It's actually Paris. Paris. Yeah, sorry. sorry. I, failed. I failed. I failed. French. I failed it. I got a B because she felt bad for me. That's not a fail. A B is good. She told me it was a pity. It was a pity. A pity B. <laughs> She's like, you need to keep our average up. I'm like, I know. I shouldn't be here. She's like, don't take the next one. <laughs> and I did not. And then I left school. So it was totally fine. Um, but you have had a history, personal history with Agnes, where you interviewed her in Paris. You met her in Toronto when she came for TIFF. Um, did you not interact with her before then, too? No, no. So I, I, like I said, I was introduced to her in this class. Shout out to Alana Thane, my professor there. She's an amazing academic, if anyone's, you know. She's listening. She, she, I'll send this to her, and Good. then she will. She's quite, she's really wonderful. Uh, and then had always just kind of read about her, watched her films, and then obviously, you know, we named Cleo after Agnes Varda's most, probably best-known film, Cleo de Saint-Cassette. So she was very, I don't know, embedded in my life. And then in 2016... Uh, at the Toronto Film Festival, Toronto International Film Festival, excuse me. Pardon us. Yeah, she was, uh, I hope my boss is listening and now I'm- Cameron. I'm fired. She's fire her. <laughs> Just come on and fire her on the podcast. Fine. <laughs> you should have him on. He's very funny on Cameron, podcasts. come on the podcast. <laughs> Just email um, me. DM me. Uh, so she was given the Roger Ebert Tribute Award that year, and I was working under uh, Cameron at that point. He said, do you want to um, basically, like, you know, be her, like, minder basically, for the three days that she's there? And I was like, is the Pope a Catholic? Yes. I mean, we don't know. He's coming up with a lot of revelations lately. I don't know if he's going to be Catholic for a while. Shout out to Francis. Shout out to you disappear. You don't go to hell. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I love the Jesuits. I could have come on and talked about how much I love the Jesuits, but that... Fair. I think a lot of people care about Jesuits. So anyway, uh, so I was like, yes, I would love to, um, you know, basically hang out with Varda for the three days while she's at the festival. And as with any filmmaker, you always hear like, you know, watch out she can be difficult oh. you know people always have stories about once she did this or once they did this and it's usually about women because again God, people say that about us <laughs> probably all the time yeah. god she's so she's difficult. difficult she cries all the time the other one has no feelings <laughs> it's very frightening Kiva has feelings for 14 people and I, it's exhausting today I made eye contact with a stranger while I accidentally dry swallowed a pill and just was like well this is too weird if I break it so I just kept staring and that is me feeling things <laughs> well, you, Alex uh, is looking Looking at me horrified because it was Alex. It wasn't a stranger. <laughs> He's like, I'm not a stranger. I know you. Anyway, I'm never going to give him a mic. <laughs> Wait, what was I saying? So you were talking about how you had heard that she had been difficult. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, I've heard this about everybody. But she's also – she's one of my idols. And I think that that's um, – th there was like a lot of pressure added on to – and it's not that she's mean but that she can kind of be like a little trickster, you know? Um, and so I was kind of nervous. And I was already nervous to begin with. And then, of course, she's just – freaking lovely she's so filled with this incredible amount of energy and so when we met she was i guess 87 Aww. 80 like 86 87 and uh i just like i you couldn't keep up with her she had so many questions she was so curious and she is 
I don't know, four, five, five, no, and she's under five feet. She's like four foot, like 10 or something like that. She's so tiny. And I'm like Gandalf next to her. So she's like holding, and she's, you know, she's very intellectually athletic and really, you know, like has all this energy, but, you know, she can't run at the same speed that she used to be able to. And you even see this in the most recent documentary. At one point, she's getting pushed in a wheelchair because she can't run through art galleries the way she used to. So she's kind of holding onto my arm at some point when she wanted to like get around. So here's this like tiny woman next to like gigantic me. I mean, I know I'm making myself sound like I'm as tall as like, I don't know. A basketball player. Yeah, and that's not fair. You're only 7'4". Yeah, that's fine. true. Yeah, okay. yeah. My career in the NBA was so short-lived. Yeah, but it was spectacular. Spectacular. It was, it was it blink was and you miss re- it because that's how fast you were on the court. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. then they realized that I suck at basketball. And that you're a woman and it was... Well, in the WNBA. Oh, the WNBA. Been, yeah, I mean, fine. that's fine. Sports, sports, sports. Yeah. Could have come on and just talked about how much I love sports, but I didn't want to open Spawn myself. branding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of which, before you tell me about Paris, we're going to spawn con for a little commercial break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow, what a commercial. Just a block. Is this okay? I feel like I'm rambling. I mean, I hate that you're here and everything about. Is this actually okay? No, it's great. Oh, my God. I love this. Okay, so you were her handler, her leader, her guide. Um, That was in Toronto. And then in Paris, how did that happen? Well, after I was Gandalf, I still remained the same height that I am. Terrific. And um, basketball. Yeah, and moved to France. Yes. France. You did. That's why we haven't seen each other since September. This is very true. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, Tiff had said, uh, had asked Cleo if we wanted to program this retrospective of Agnes Varda films. And once again, we said, is the Pope a Catholic? Or only I said that because only I, and I think it's Posh Spice in Spice World says that. Uh, it's Jerry. Oh, I'm so I only sorry. know that because I just watched it this week. Mm, yeah, classic. It's just very comforting. Film. It's a great film. Yeah. Uh, wonderful major motion picture. And so we said yes, of course. And so I had to do some meetings with her and her team to try to figure out film prints and which films would be picked and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and so I just suddenly was like, Maybe I'm just going to ask because, as my grandfather always said, just ask. The worst they can do is say no. So I asked if um, if Varda would grant us an interview. And at first they were like, oh, no, c'est pas possible. Because everything in Fran- France is it's never possible. And so I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And then I got a call and they're like, actually, can you come in on you know Thursday at 5 p.m.? We can give you 15 minutes. And I was like, yes, schedule cleared. Also, I didn't have anything in my schedule because I had moved to another country and had limited friends. <laughs> <laughs> now I have my one coffee date at 5 p.m. Like, yeah, please was, don't take this from me. So terrible. So I went and I thought, okay, 15 minutes. And, you know, I'd talked to the other Clayo editors and we'd really created a, a set of, you know, very concise questions because when you're interviewing someone for 15 minutes, unlike this masterpiece where you can just let me ramble for 900 years, you never know if you're going to get those gems. So we had it really quite, you know, quite laid out. And we got there and um, the person before who was another Canadian journalist, I was. I feel like I'm now gossiping, 
It was the worst interview I'd ever heard. It was, he was on speakerphone calling in, and she was just irate. He was asking the most inane Ooh. questions, and I was. It, it was at one point her assistant looked up at me, and we both were like. Oh, oh, I kind of love hearing that, though. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've had those interviews, so that's why I feel like I can be like, no, laugh at them. They deserve it. I deserved it. I wasn't ready in those times. It was so, so clear. I was like, have you seen – have you even seen her most recent film? Like, he knew nothing about her. And so she knew Jim Morrison and was one of the, like, four people at his funeral. Oh, shit. And so she walks out of the interview and she's like, I knew Jim Morrison once and everyone still only asks about this. <gasps> and I'm like, oh, well, good news. Zero questions about Jim. Yeah. And she's kind of like – Hmm, okay. So we start the interview and we end up talking for 40 minutes and she I'm just sitting there with my my little round face cupped into my hands like like blinking and listening to everything she's saying. She's talking about, you know, starting making filmmaking. She's talking about um, you know, feminism. She made this abortion musical in in the, you know, the 1970s and she's always been a very outspoken advocate of feminism and women's rights and you know, the right to choose. And then at the very end of the interview, she's like, "Yeah, so her daughter is her producer." And she She's like starts yelling at her daughter to come into the living room, and she's like, "Rosalie, Rosalie, viens ici, viens ici. You must meet this most like this most amazing woman. We we had such a good time. We just talked about cinema, which is what I really love." And I like almost burst into tears, obviously, because I'm me. And that was my tender, humble brag of a Agnes Barda interview story. That's so cool because I think a lot of us are, and I know I say this as someone who is, but like I am very hesitant to meet people I cite as my heroes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, of course. Like how Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I forgot to tell you, Kiva is 84 as well. That's why her and Agnes come along very well. And that's why she looked like Gandalf. On the inside, but my skincare regime. But your skincare regime. Can I brag about this? Someone thought I was 24 yesterday. Someone did. Um shout out to a cure brightening facial scrubs. Oh love it. Yeah. Yeah, That should be I think actually Lauren Collins will be coming to talk about her skincare regime. It's, Spoiler alert. Yeah, so, that followed by the, the Shiseido ooh, vitamin E face mask. Love it. Yeah, See, I, we could do our own podcast just about skincare. <laughs> no one would listen, but we could do it. <laughs> they, they'd look at me and be like, you look tired. I'm like, I am of this bullshit. Anyways, when you – like how do you – like how do you separate the hero – and, like, what you perceive somebody to be and then what they actually are. Like, was that difficult? How did you do that? Yeah, I think that there's – the only other person who I've met who I sort of put on a similar field is another French filmmaker named Claire Denis. Oh, yeah. And uh, I interviewed her again for Cleo. Basically, Cleo was created so that we could interview our What idols. do you think this fucking podcast is? <laughs> hey, so that you could meet me? So I could meet was this you. Our, is this our meet cue? It's a little bit of a meet cue. Yo, imagine, like, creating a podcast just to scam your way into someone's heart. One person. <laughs> Like one, I'm like first you got to nail down like 58 episodes, and then, then you have them in on. season eight, <laughs> finally we meet. And then I let them talk about anything they want, provided it's me. <laughs> Uh, okay, so how do you separate? Oh, yeah, so I, w- interviewing her was also very stressful. And I think that there's, well, there's different kind of idols too, I guess. And for both of them, they are, um, I guess, kind of like like intellectual or like artistic idols like their work meant that I liked film like I watched their Mm -hmm. films and was like oh wow here's an in for me into a world that did feel super super masculine and only talked about a certain kind of thing and only filmed in a certain kind of way and had a certain kind of cinematic language and they kind of just said like no to all of that and did their own thing um and and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that if I hadn't discovered the films of Agnes Varda I mean there wouldn't ever have been a Cleo journal and without Cleo I wouldn't be here literally here probably professionally because that had really like helped get my career going in many ways so I felt super indebted to her 
body of work and thus also her. But you also don't want to be a freak and say that. I just say it at this point. Yeah. So I, I think I like, I think I just kind of like I did end up giving her like a Cleo tote and explained Aww. what Cleo was and um, and some of our postcards of our covers, like the hate co- uh, hate copy um, designed a cover for us. So I gave her a postcard of that. And she thought it was very cool. But I, I don't know how I separated it other than I, it was one of those kind of like out of body experiences where I was like, I'm going to tell my grandkids about this. Like I have a framed photo of us and I now just sound like a freak. I'm realizing, but I have a framed photo of Agnes Varda and I from when she was at TIFF and they had this like portrait lounge and therefore like Denzel Washington and like the big stars that were coming and we took her down because I was being her Gandalf keeper and her, her daughter Rosalie Varda was like, you two should take a photo together. And I was like, no, this is for the stars. I am nobody. And she was like, don't be silly and just insisted. So she made the professional photographer take a professional photo of Agnes Varda and I. That's great. So it's framed in my house. Well, naturally. Yeah. You know. It's be different. I feel like it would be different if it was Quentin Tarantino. Then I would be like, <laughs> all right, I don't know. Have you been reading the news? Like, are you okay? Do you like, why is this happening? Well, I guess I just feel really, I know that sounds really funny and like, um, I, I don't know, like I'm idolizing her, but I guess I kind of do. I think it's only dangerous to quote unquote meet your heroes if you can't reconcile the fact that they're human. So as as, as long as you're meeting somebody and you are like, this person is flawed, they're messy, they're complicated, they too carry a modium in their bag. Like, everybody is fucked. And as long as you can be like, cool, this person whose work I love so much is totally probably fucked up, then it just takes all the tension away and we're just all here to have a good time. And I think that's what a lot of her films are like, too, that they're about um... – they're not like super didactic. They're not like think this way, do this way. This is the moral code that you need to follow. They're they're about reflecting yourself back when you watch them. And if you like your response to the film says a lot about your values as opposed to her imposing values on you. And, uh, you know, she made a film about um, gleaners in France. So like in France, there's after the harvest even on private property, you can go and cultivate whatever was left over, like vines, potatoes, da, da, da. So it's about food waste. It's about poverty in France. And she inserted herself in this documentary because she describes herself as a gleaner of images. And some people were like, oh, that, you know, that's kind of problematic. Like you have a filmmaker comparing her labor to that of people who are super impoverished in France and da, 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 da. And, you know, and the documentary did well. Like it really circulated. And she heard these kinds of criticisms and went back and made a sequel. And she talks about it still where she's like, you know, I – in in the interview that we did, she says, like, I had gotten to know these people. They became friends. And there is a really complicated dynamic between a filmmaker and their subjects in documentary. And she wanted to return to that and kind of acknowledge that. Um, and I think why her films age so well is because they have that kind of, like, open curiosity as opposed to being, like, this is, you know, this is film, this is life, this is the world, and this is the only way to see it. Right. And, like, going back to, again, you know, her ethos of curiosity, like, if if you're curious about something and you're doing it from a place of empathy, then, like... You can't really fuck that up. No. No. I don't think so. No, I think when you go to a place 
uh, when you do something from a place of authority, that's what can fuck shit up. And her, she's really interesting in terms of authority, too, because like going back to the French New Wavies, sorry not to be like, film school, you know, there's like the, your time to shine, the, the auteur theory. And, you know, the director is the sole author of the film and there's no one else there. And it's like, Meh. I don't know if you've ever been on a film set. There's a lot of people there. And they and Vard has always really rejected that and has this idea of cine écriture and it's like cinema writing so that it's the director, the screenwriter, the editor, everyone's interpretation played together so her whole mandate is one of very much of collaboration and in this new documentary I really think you see that as well where and I'd asked her about that where she gets these really beautiful moments of, of vulnerability from people and I said I mean like not everyone can get that you know like I even joke about it. I'm like why do people always tell me their life stories is it because I have a round face she was like no it's because if you go into something without just being like question answer what is it like what do you do why is this blah 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 blah, blah and just trying to find like abc equals d i guess i don't know i don't, listen i failed math as well really i did not do math. well in school i don't know how stressed is enough <laughs> you know but if you if you're going in with an agenda or trying to find with you know basically try to find the equation that is the response to the preconceived notion that you have of somebody they're going to get that mm-hmm. as opposed to just kind of coming in with this open curiosity and she really has that and you sense that when you're sitting in front of her even if she's just you know in one or two questions that she might have before or after an interview or whatever minor interactions she has or even just you know when we were like walking around the light box or in Toronto and she would observe people on the street or buildings and have questions about them you know, and so it's coming from this place of just not not wanting to know more in order to gain knowledge and authority, but just wanting to know more because, you know, she's living in this world and wants to be a part of it. How has her ethos affected your professional ethos, like the way you approach your work? I don't know. I mean, I guess like ideally, I guess trying to value collaboration, I think, I hope. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. It's not like a, I think, you know, it's a very especially in like like media and things like that and like bylines and da 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 but the whole mandate behind Cleo is trying to create space for people and trying to create space for emerging film writers because I know when I was a film critic it was really hard and I wanted to write about certain things like politics or gender or anything like that and that was always like oh that's niche or like oh that's you know kind of above people I was like well don't condescend to your audience there's a way of there's a way of bringing people in and being, you know, rigorous and intellectual, that's also not alienating. I mean, I hope I age the way she does, which is just like never becoming so certain of yourself that you no longer want to question things, which is what I think what keeps her so energetic and alive, really. And I've been thinking about aging a lot, too. I mean, I'm 31. I'm not like, you know. I know, but sometimes I, as I'm I'm 32, you're senior. <laughs> and respect your elders. Respect us, Alex. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're not, that's right. You say nothing. Um, I feel like that's almost inevitable, though, as women age, or as, like it happens for everybody, but I think especially as women age, our worth is hung up so much on youth and then like you don't see that many older female directors like fucking living their best life. And putting themselves in their no, films too. Because, you don't. And she has that a lot – like to talk about the gleaners again, a lot of it she films her hands and her hands are – like when she filmed that, I guess she was in her – late 70s probably and her her long 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 term husband had passed away a couple years before so you know she thinks and she talks a lot about 
death and dying because there is this inevitable thing, even in her earlier works as well, but never with this nihilistic like, oh, well, we're all going to die. So fuck it. Why would you do anything? Look, I swore I finally. Thank you. <laughs> anytime. Thank no, you very much. Why, why would you give up? We're all going to die. It's rather like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. So really, let's make the best of it because holy shit, we're really fucking lucky. Yeah. Right? I like that. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so even, you know, her you know, putting herself in her films as she's aging is, you know, you don't often see 80, you know, almost like 90 year old women on screen. So there's something really radical in that as well. And especially not playing like usually or if you do, it's like playing someone's mom. Yeah. Or you playing someone's grandmother, playing someone, yeah. you know, something like that. And her she, and it's not necessarily about her, but then about aging, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I get another thing about her as well when thinking about aging at 31. I leaked my skincare regime, so I feel like I, I can mean, really like, yeah. Just, it's a room of transparency. It's totally fine. I feel like my lipstick's like peeling off my face as we speak. Like, this is Good really thing great. I brought you three You other got options. me three other lipsticks, which is like what every guest must bring me. Cannot stress that enough. Um, but the, the idea of aging, I guess, I was thinking about too, more in terms of professional accomplishments because I think you know when you're this when you're in your 20s and people are like oh you've done so much wow you're so this like wunderkind yep and then I mean 30 was like a decade and then 31 you're like oh that's a funny one that's like not a round number I guess we're really in it now what does that mean and and I think people are like less impressed when you do things when you're in your 30s. Totally. It's like, well, congrats, you're an adult. That's yeah. what the money is for. That's to congr- you. you know, to, well, not that I make any real money, but you know, you it's know. the quote that I'm obsessed with from Mad Men. Yes, you never of say course. Thank you. That's what money. Well, that's for. what the money's for. Mm-hmm. So no one's really like mm, amazing anymore. But then also, I look at someone like Agnes Varda, who's still making work and also expanding outwards into different um, different media's. Like now, she's become much more of a visual artist, and she's playing with. Uh, installations and sculpture and she had started as a photographer as well when you look at someone like Agnes Varda who continues to work and continues to hit professional milestones Mm -hmm. beyond the age of 25 or something is gives a much more profound sense of you know work meaning and and value to what you can accomplish and for her I think aging is complicated, obviously, and is complicated in terms of, you know, having a visible female body or all those kinds of things. But I also think when you look at her, aging is also can also be equated to living. Right. And when you frame it that way, like it's actually just like you're so lucky to age, you know, it's a privilege. Yeah. I always think like the uh, crow's feet and stuff are like badges of honor. Yeah. And like laugh lines like, yeah, because you're laughing. Imagine you had a stoic life and just... You know, yeah, it's, like that I would take be rough. These dark circles under my eyes as like a fuck you. My friend says that as well. She's like, I really like that look because I think it just means that you've been working yeah, hard. That, I always look at people <laughs> like that. I'm like, oh, you work hard. I'm into this. Okay, I'm going to rapid fire question you now. Oh, in one line, like one sentence, why do you why do you love Agnes Varda so much? I love her sense of curiosity. Excellent. What's your favorite um, Varda work? Oh my god, that's so hard. Rapid fire. I don't give a shit. Um, uh, um, I uh, she's listening. She's getting upset. Oh my, oh my, no, but I kind of want to say Beaches of Agnes, but I'm I'm just gonna say Cleo de Saint Cassette because that's what the journal's named after. But you can say the other one too. You can have two. Okay, but also I really no. And then I'm just gonna go on and on because I also like you know Jane B by Agnes V. So anyway, yeah, fair enough. Okay, what was the one thing she said to you in all of the interviews that still like circulates in your brain? Oh, when she was talking about Cleo de Saint Cassette, and it's a it's about a woman sort of coming into her own, and she talks about how um, obviously going to misquote her. Um, 
that the first step of feminism is not being or is not is looking outwards and not being uh, mirror oriented. So looking outwards towards the world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What is something that you hope how you like how do you want to be your own Agnes to somebody younger than you? Oh, I hope I'm never bitter and mean to people who are coming up behind me because oh, I, I think, think oh, God, I hope not. I think you'd feel too bad. I mean, I let me tell you about some Irish Catholic guilt, my friend. <laughs> oh, I, I know. love feeling bad about things. Uh, no, I, I think that she is so energized and interested mm-hmm. in in people who are younger than her as opposed to seeing them as threats. And I really hope, I don't know, I've had older women not necessarily be nice or be cruel, and I kind of understand why, because they fought really hard to get where they are, and they're like, you should too. But also, like, I don't know, you fight hard to make it easier for the next people Theoretically, you don't just fight hard for yourself. Otherwise, woof. What yeah, kind of life is a that? Dick. Yeah. yeah. What's that for? Yeah, exactly. Like, like bring someone up with you. Yeah, like don't go it alone. There's yeah. nothing interesting. No one wants to be like John Wayne. No. And like even John Wayne by the end, I think, was like, I want to be this. And he's <laughs> like, this is really fucking hard. I made a mistake. Oh, my Should God. Gotten a co-star in one of the films. Oh, this is so much to carry on my own. Anybody comedy would have been better. <laughs> Anyone. <laughs> Would have been fine. It's fine. There. I like that's my impression of John Wayne. Um, so if SNL wants to give me a phone call, I'm happy to audition with any relevant. 416. 416. <laughs> throw it out there. Let's have everybody call. Okay, my last question. My last rapid fire before I make you tell everybody on the internet what you're up to, et cetera, et cetera. If there was one thing that you would like Agnes Varda to know about you, what would it be? What? I don't know. She told me why she liked the color purple. So maybe I would reciprocate by telling her, oh, God, I think I would just confess how much I like sports because I feel like I only confess that to people I really care about. Or now all your podcast listeners. And she'd be like, why? Or maybe she'd be like, have some deep observation about why that's cool. I mean, the Olympics have been happening since before, like, people knew how to keep record books properly. Yeah, and I mean, like... I just they were all nude. Schedule my time around, you know, football matches. It is soccer matches. Yeah, you did get into football slash soccer. You can't live in Europe and not. And now it's baseball season, but I'm disenchanted with the Jays this year. So it's a little hard this year. Yeah, because they're acting a fool, <laughs> a fucking fool. Have come, a come start watching a La Liga with I me. I will. I will do La that. Liga. La Liga. The best part is you get to say La Liga what all team, the time. What team am I supposed to like? Um, we can get into that. I like a controversial team, so I I'll get... just like what you like. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I know, otherwise, it's like, I don't have time to do research. Just tell me a cool team, and I'll be like, okay, cool. <laughs> and that, my friends, is how I'm friends with my friends. <laughs> okay, so now you have to tell the internet, like, what are you working on? What are you doing? Tell, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters. Yes. Where one tweets. You don't go on Instagram anymore. I mean, well, all my internet personas are at Kiva underscore Jane. Yeah. Jane for Jane Austen. True Aww. story. Uh, I'm like, my Instagram exists. I just have pulled back from it. But, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm you some, are on I'm Twitter. sometimes on the gram, as the kids say. Yep. Um, check out ClaoJournal.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are taking the summer issue off because we're working on a print issue, which is super exciting. <gasps> that is very exciting. Heard it here first. Oh, my God. Um, it's, like, already out for two months. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. We'll be literally working on it in the future. Oh. Now, this is, like, Tokyo Drift. You know how it was happening yeah, yeah, at yeah, the yeah, same yeah. time as, like, the fifth one? So now, like, the timelines oh are all God. coming together. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. 
You heard it here yeah. on this podcast. So we're working on that, but check out our back issues. Check out the Varda issue. And um, I guess in July, you know, God willing, I'll be just like knee deep and working on TIFF uh, 2018. So yeah. stay tuned for that. And then, I mean, um, again, cannot remind Cameron Bailey enough that if you would just come on and talk about my tweets as his thing that nobody cares about, but he does, <laughs> that's fine. And I'm here for it. Um, I'm so happy you came on here. Thank you for having me. I love you. I love you. We've had so many adventures. We really have. That's a whole other podcast. That is a podcast <laughs> called Watching the Hills and Crying while, <laughs> while eating Listening popcorn. Listening to One Direction in Niagara Falls. Oh, God. Let's go to Niagara Falls again this summer. Anytime. Love a road trip. Done. Okay. Um, if you guys are still listening which i assume you are because that's how podcasts work you can head to my website nobodycarespodcast.ca tell me what you care about nobody else does and i can read it on here or not but i would prefer if i could and you can find me on twitter at auntie donahue um i don't know why i pause that way but i want alex to keep it in so you guys know that i'm human and not a god all right cool anyways i'll see you guys next week this is nobody cares except for me and um that's it okay bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.